We are in Luke chapter 14, so if you want to take some time to turn there, if you do use the Chair Rack Bible, it's page 873, I believe, is where you're going there. And just before we get into the word this morning, I do want to, I think I see the Rodriguez family out there. Uh, I do want to, I think it's your last Sunday with us. You guys are getting ready to move, so George, Jeannie, Maya, Katie is probably back with the kids' ministry, I guess. Uh, We have uh, enjoyed having you guys with us, and uh, George's job has taken them away from us, but um, we have enjoyed having you with us at Mount Hope these last several years. So make sure uh, to say goodbye to George and Jeannie, Maya, and Katie as they leave. God bless you guys as you go. Robert Kringley wrote a book uh, called Accidental Empires, and in there he tells the story of uh, Steve Jobs and uh, Steve Wozowski, uh, uh, was out, why am I getting him confused? Wozniak. I'm getting confused with the guy from Monsters, Inc. Thank you very much. Um, my, yes, I'm getting confused with that big green ball from Monsters, Inc. Mike Wazowski and Steve Wozniak. Wozniak. Woz, I'm going to call him Woz. This is in this book. This is off to a great start. Here we go. Um, So he tells the story of when Apple was getting started and they had hired, getting to that point, some of you have been through there with startups. When you get to the point where you start hiring so many people that you lose, you don't know everybody in the company, right? Um, And when it's a small company, you know everyone and then it starts to grow and all of a sudden you show up at work one day and there's someone you didn't know who worked there. So they came up with ways to kind of help people get to know who everyone was. And one of the things they did, and a lot of companies actually do this, they actually had people wear a name badge or things that signified the number employee they were at the company. Um, So if you were hired as the 10th person at Apple, you were employee number 10, right? And so Steve Woz got to be employee number one. And he was the first person hired at Apple. And Steve Jobs, actually, might surprise you, was employee number two. But Steve Jobs didn't really like being employee number two. And so he petitioned the board, or whoever was in control of these things at the time, that since they were hired about the same time, and J comes before W, he should probably be employee number one, and Waz should be employee number two. They didn't buy it. They said, no, we, the numbers are what the numbers are. That's, that's what we decided So then Steve Jobs, not to give up on that, he went back and he said, well, he said, number zero hasn't been taken yet. So I'd like to be employee zero and let Woz be one. And that they actually said, okay, that's fine. If you want to be employee zero, you can be the zero and Woz can be the one. And that's what they did, which is interesting to walk around going with a zero on on your thing. But I say that to say this. You know, we all have ways in our life and in our minds that we keep score. We all have ways in our hearts and our minds that we kind of keep track of the people around us and where we fall in the pecking order at times. Where our kind of spot is maybe on the ladder. Everything from, you can go into your local market basket, and on that name badge, you're going to see, what are you going to see, one year, two year, three years? I think I saw a story this week of a guy that retired 27 years was on his uh, little badge. We all have ways 
of keeping track of things. It happens in corporations. It happens in, in stores. It happens in things like family things like weddings, right? You, 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 we go to a wedding or something, and did you get invited? Didn't you get invited? Well, that tells you where you fall, right? Did you make the list or not? And if you got invited, did you get invited to be in the wedding or just attend the wedding? Now you know where you fall. And then even if you're in the wedding, where you stand in the wedding literally shows kind of where you stand in the order, right? I mean, you have the groom and the guy beside him is the best man. And the guys beside him are the okay guys. Right? And, and depending on where you're standing there, I mean, you know, maybe you're the one right next to the best man. You would have been the best man if he wasn't there. You were the second best man. Or maybe you're the guy all the way down the end that because the bride had so many friends, he had to pick you to be in the wedding. But we have all these things of ways we keep score, ways we're constantly measuring ourselves against the people around us. We even do it in church. I went on a tour recently of an old uh, church building in Woburn. And I was walking through this building, and at the back of the building, there was a, a little placard or uh, framed certificate kind of thing. And it had the names. It had the pews and then names beside the pews. And the guy that was giving us a tour said, yeah, each family had a pew that was assigned to them. And the way they were assigned were whoever gave the most money to the church, they had certain pews that they were able to sit in. And then in the back were unnamed pews that anyone could sit in at the time. You buy your pew and then or you sit in one of these other pews at the time. We even do it in church at times. Uh, it happens in, in, in our modern church. Uh, recently, I got an email from our um, Assemblies of God World Missions headquarters. And this one is, is kind of, this, is this is an in-between one. Like, so I get this email, and it says to this, Rick, I wanted to let you know that Mount Hope in their world missions giving in 2021 was ranked in your increased giving over year to year was number 166 in the Assemblies of God. And uh, at first, I, I, the guy's name was Randy. I emailed Randy back. I said, Randy, I need a little context. I don't know what this means. Are we 166 out of 167? I'm not like, are you telling us we got to get going? I'm not sure what this means. And so he wrote back and he said, you're, you're number 166 out of 8,600 giving Assemblies of God churches. And I thought, well, that's fantastic. That's not about me. That's about the church. That's about what God did. Praise God that we're able to increase and give more. But at the same time, I'm a little like, are we supposed to be keeping track of these things? <laughs> are we supposed to be measuring ourselves against each other in these ways? We're always keeping score in all kinds of places. We do it in our minds, we do it in our, we do it literally in sometimes, and we're always spending all this energy keeping track and keeping score of where we sit. But here's the truth. When you worry too much about your position, you risk missing your purpose. When we are worried too much about what position we fall in and where our position is, we can risk missing our purpose. 
Luke chapter 14. We're going to look at starting in verse 1. Luke chapter 14, verse 1. And here's what Luke writes. One Sabbath, when he, and that's Jesus, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. When you worry too much about positions, you risk missing your purpose. Here are these religious leaders. They invite Jesus to a dinner party. Luke tells us they have some ulterior motives. They're watching him carefully. They know that this guy is sick. Dropsy was a condition that was very obvious. It, it was very painful. It disfigured a person's abdomen. It had uh, massive retentions of water and swelling because your organs weren't functioning properly. It was obvious here was a man in pain, here was a man sick, and here was Jesus, and it was the Sabbath, and what would he do? And they were watching him, these religious leaders, comfortable in their positions. And they were more worried about the fact that it was the Sabbath and their rule-keeping than they were about this man who was in obvious pain and sick. And Jesus asked them a question, you know, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And then he goes and heals this man, answering his own question, that indeed it was lawful to heal on the Sabbath. But they had gotten so caught up in their positions that they had lost sight of the purpose. They would just assume, if you're going to heal this man, heal him tomorrow. Why not heal him tomorrow? Wait a day. He's been in pain all these years. What's the difference? Let him wait one more day. And yet Jesus looks on him with compassion. said, why should he have to wait one more day? At times, I think it happens with us too, that we get so caught up in our positions that we lose sight of the purpose that we're there for. I mean, it happens in little ways. I mean, illustrations abound all over the place. If you've ever gone to a birthday party and you're there to celebrate a person, but you're thinking about, will they like my gift? Or how does my gift compare to the other gifts that were given? Or who's here or who's not here? Or I can't believe they're here. Or I can't believe they're not here. We get caught up in all these things and we lose the focus on the person that we're there to celebrate. It happens all over the place. It happens in churches at times. Maybe you come to, I know it doesn't happen in this church, but in some churches, some people come and end up sitting in the same seats every Sunday. That's not this church, but if you can believe that. And imagine if you walked into one of those churches, you know, and you were the one sitting in the same seat all the time, and you walked in and someone is sitting in your seat because, you know, the nerve of them sitting in your seat, Avon. Right? I just want to get close. Yeah. And you, 
have a choice in that matter. You might come in and say, someone is sitting in my seat. Or you might come in and say, someone's sitting in my seat. Someone is sitting in the seat. They didn't know I sat here. They're probably new. They're probably new here. They're probably maybe here for the first time. Someone came to church, and God might do something incredible in their life today. One is focused on my position. One is focused on the purpose. And we too often get so focused on our positions that we lose focus of the purpose that we're there for. And this happens, I think this can happen to us all the time. We need to be careful about this. It happens. That's why at a wedding, what's one of the first things a pastor says at the beginning of the wedding? We are gathered here together today. He needs to let you know. Because you can be focused on everything else other than why we're gathered there, to watch these two people enter into a covenant of marriage with one another, not to look at the dresses or who's in the wedding or worry about all the other stuff. I do it at the beginning of every funeral. If you ever heard me uh, conduct a funeral, every funeral, I feel like we have to remind each other, why are we here? We're here to comfort each other. We're here to consider our own mortality. We're here to comfort and celebrate a life and then commit a body to the earth. This is what we're here for. We're not here to sit here and think about, I wonder what they left me in the will. I wonder if I'll get this. I wonder who gets the house. I wonder, and all these other things that can distract us that we wonder, we're so caught up in our position that we lose focus on the purpose that we're there for. That can happen. Jesus is reminding the religious leaders of their purpose and of who God is. Maybe you're sitting here and you're already thinking about where you're going to lunch next. Some of you got open table open and you're looking what's around. I don't know where you're going to lunch. I know where you're not going to lunch. I can guarantee where you're not going to lunch. You're not going to Chick-fil-A. Because Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. Right. Sometimes. Most of the time, not always. Back in December of 2017, the Atlanta airport uh, went into a complete blackout. Uh, Hundreds of flights canceled, thousands of passengers uh, just left stranded, trying to figure out what to do, and it happened to be on a Sunday. And the uh, municipal government, Atlanta's municipal government, was busy trying to find accommodations for these passengers. And while they were, they tweeted out that the passengers' meals would be handled by someone else. And then they said, quote, at Chick-fil-A, we'll provide food for the passengers. So a store that's always closed on Sunday was happy to open their doors on this particular day of rest because thousands of people needed their help. And I think it's a good example of being careful that we don't get so caught up in our positions that we lose focus of the purpose in front of us. Number two, a proper perspective of God will reveal your position. A proper perspective of God will let you know, will inform you, will reveal your position. Let's continue on in Luke chapter 14, because this is a sermon series on parables, and so far you're saying, Pastor Rick, that wasn't a parable. You're right, that wasn't a parable, but I think what I just read connects to this parable that comes next. 
verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. Parentheses. Let me open parentheses for a second. We've been talking about parables, but don't confuse. Parables are not Aesop's fables. These are not, here's a good moral lesson for you. What a parable is, is a, a genre of speaking that Jesus uses to communicate a kingdom principle in a pretty subversive way. He uses story to get kind of below uh, many times their radar, their, you know, and fly in below the radar and then deliver an important point. And it's a kingdom truth, not simply some moral fable. So close parentheses, here we go. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you would begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. A proper perspective of God reveals your position. Jesus is invited to dine at this Sabbath meal, and they're watching him closely, and he leans into it. You know, first, he's, if you're going to watch me, I'm going to heal this guy. Watch me heal this guy. And he confronts them. But then he leans into it even more with a pretty provocative statement in, in this parable. You know, he, he's really poking them. You know, he kind of walks into the room, and he's like, you sit weird. Like, what, what are you doing? You just, you know, you, you have a weird way of sitting. You all come in and try and get the best seats. So at this meal, the host would be at the head of the table and have the seat of honor. And then the seats closest to the host would be the most important and most honored seats. And you would kind of sit in the order of importance. And so they would all jockey for, they were all jockeying for that best seat and that closest seat. And Jesus says, don't do that. Why would you do that? When you do that, what you risk is that you're going to sit in a seat and the host is going to say, someone more important here. Get out of his seat. And by that time, all the other seats are taken and you got to go to the last seat and take that walk of shame. Anyone ever had to take that walk of shame before? I had to do it once. Well, maybe more than once. Once that sticks in my mind. And Wendy and I, we, uh, when we um, were flying standby one time, we were flying standby, and we were uh, waiting in the airport. And if you know what it's like to fly standby, you got to kind of wait until to see who shows up and who doesn't show up. And if there's extra seats, you get to sit in the extra seats. So we're in the airport uh, waiting to, to take off. And, uh, you know, watching you watch everybody else get on. You listen to them call some names who's on the standby list before you. And just before they close the door, they call our name. And they say, you know, Rick and Wendy Piccarello, come up. And we come up, to the, we come up to the stand, and they say, we got two first-class seats that are open. 
and you guys can have them. And I've never flown first class before. I have still never flown first class before because here, <clears throat> here's what happened. We get on and we sit in these two seats and we get comfortable and we get our, you know, put our bags up and we get ready for our hot towels to come out. And then they call our name again. And when you're flying standby, you never want your name called twice. Because when they call it the second time, it means you've got to leave those seats that they gave you. And they called our name again with the bring your bags with you. And we had to take our bags, not move back to coach, actually get off the plane <laughs> and wait for another plane. And Jesus is saying, when you take a seat of honor and then someone else comes, it's kind of like that. That someone else more important shows up and you have to leave your seat in shame. So don't do that. Why don't do that, we're going to get to in a moment. But he says, don't do that. Don't live like that. Don't live like that. And the way I think that we have a proper understanding of our position, especially as Christians, the way we have this is when we have a proper view of God, when we have a proper perspective of God. Because when you have a proper perspective of God, you see where you are. You see how great he is. <laughs> and you understand, you know, your position. There's no, there's no, you know, trying to keep score then. Because when you understand how great God is, you don't worry about where you're sitting in the table. You're just thankful to be in the room. You're just thankful to, to get to be at the banquet, to be at the dinner. It's like, you know, you, know, you just want to be in the room. I was thinking uh, um, about the Celtics, the last Celtics game. I know, hard subject, the last Celtics game. But that last Celtics game at the Garden. And I, I looked at the tickets, and it was like the cheapest ticket was like 1500 bucks to sit with your back against the cement wall in the 300 section, barely being able to see anything. And I thought, why would anyone pay 1500 bucks to sit in those seats rather than sitting on your couch and having this beautiful view in the TV and seeing everything. And it's because you just want to be in the room when it happens, right? You just want to be in the room. And, and when you get a proper perspective of God, you're not worrying about what rank you're in. You're not worrying about what position you fall in. You're just, I'm just, I don't even belong in this room. It's only grace. It's only mercy. I don't have to worry about the position or the seat I'm in. I'm in the room. God knows my name. I think the greatest example of this is probably the Apostle Paul, who talks about his life prior to coming to know Jesus. And he was a Jewish religious leader who was on the fast track to success. He had all the right schools. He had the Ivy League degrees of the day. He had, he had gone to all the right places. He was on the fast track to the top of the heap. And so he writes in the letter to the Philippians, he says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. There was no one who had more qualifications than me, Paul says. But then he comes to know God in a real way. Then he comes to follow Jesus. 
And later on, he'll write to his disciple, Timothy. He'll say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. And how do you go from I am the best of the best to I am the worst of sinners? How do you go from that level of, uh, of hubris and pride to full humility? It's when you get a picture of the grace of God in your life. When you get a picture of who God is and who you are, you don't have it. There's no room for pride. There's no room for arrogance. You understand what your position is. Some of you have experienced places of humility, and you've experienced what it is to just put all that stuff aside and be focused on the purpose in front of you. I told this story in Belmont a couple weeks ago, so if you were there and heard it, forgive me for repeating it, but I think it applies in this situation. Last month, I was at a conference where I was listening to Gordon McDonald speak, and um, Gordon McDonald was the longtime pastor of Grace Chapel in Lexington, and now he's in his 80s. He lives in New Hampshire, and he's a sort of pastor to pastors, um, and he, he goes and talks and helps pastors, especially pastors in New England. And I was listening to Gordon talk, and he said, um, he was talking about a friend of his he was talking to that goes to an AA group. And when he was listening to his friend talk about this AA group, he thought, wow, those people really care about each other. Those people, you know, that sounds like, you know, that sounds like something I'd like to hear and understand a little bit more. And he said, do you think they'd mind if I came to a meeting? And uh, the guy said, no, I don't think they'd mind, so... So Gordon went on the um, internet and found an open meeting in Concord, New Hampshire and, um, that said guests are welcome. And, uh, so at 6.30 on a Monday morning in a basement of an Episcopalian church, Concord, New Hampshire, he shows up, grabs his paper cup and his cup of coffee and tells the guys, you know, I'm just here as a guest and, and I just, I, if it's all right with you guys, I just kind of listen and I just kind of like to listen and, and be here and observe. And they said, oh, yeah, sure, that's, that's fine. You know, we're glad to have you. Great to have you here. And then he said, within 15 minutes, four different guys came up to him, gave him a card, and said, here's my personal number. If you ever need anything, anytime, day or night, you call me, and I'll be on your doorstep in 15 minutes. And he said, four different guys came up to me and did that same thing to me. And he said, I've been in church all my life. I don't, that's never happened to me. And I, I say that in the context of this because I think when you understand, when you walk in humility, which often is the case when you're in an AA meeting, right? You're walking in humility. We're all there. We've all got problems. We all understand we've got issues. That it frees you up to focus on the purpose and the person that's there. And that's what the religious leaders missed. They missed it. Finally, third point, a proper understanding of your position in relation to God makes room for your purpose. When you and I have a proper understanding of our position in relation to God, it makes room for our purpose. The passage closes with this. Verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Maybe you hear that 
and you look at the world around you and you say, I don't buy it. It's not the way the world works. Maybe it was true 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it. But today in the world of influencers and independent contractors, it doesn't fly. You got to promote yourself to get ahead. You got to build a brand. You got to build a following. If you want to make it in this world, you've got to get your name out there or you're going to get passed by and pushed aside. So you say, I hear what you're saying. I get it's in the Bible. I don't buy it. It just doesn't seem to be true. In the, it looks like in the world I live in, those who exalt themselves get ahead. Those who humble themselves get forgotten. But here's what we miss in this story and in this statement. Jesus, give, Jesus is not giving a life hack on how to get ahead without looking like you're trying. He's not telling you how to look like you're humble so that you can make your way to the top. This is less a proverbial principle of our world and more a kingdom truth of how God's world works. This is, this is an end times like when it's all over, when the story is told and it comes to the end of you, not just your life and my life, but all lives. When it comes to the end of all of that, the way the kingdom of God is work, those that have exalted themselves will find themselves being humbled and those that have humbled themselves will find themselves being lifted up. This is the way the kingdom of God works. It's not about how to get ahead at your job. It's not about how to develop a following on the internet. That's not what this is about. This is how the kingdom of God works. Because, you know, when you think about the kingdom of God, everyone who thought they were something exalted themselves. When you are standing in the ward of creation's presence, you are instantly humbled. God, look at my bank account. Look at my Bitcoin. Don't look at my Bitcoin right now. Look at my house. Look at my position. Look at my possessions. But when you see God and know that he made it all and owns it all, you're humbled. Our influence is nothing beside the God who spoke and universes, solar systems, stars come into existence. And you think you, your, your 10,000, 100,000 million followers makes a difference? Humbled instantly beside the God of the universe. Those who exalt themselves to be humble. The numbers in our bank account beside the God who thought up the idea of gold and created diamonds mean nothing. Instantly humbled in that moment. And at that same time, that person who walked the earth in humility, walked with God humbly, all of a sudden gets their name called by the God of the universe. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You are, I mean, God speaks your name. You are lifted up. You are elevated. And I know that we are all going to be surprised by the people that are honored when we See the other side of heaven. God's economy is different. 
And so that's why I think these stories are connected. Because the most humble person in these 11 verses is the man we don't even know his name. All we know is his sickness. And he's lying there and he's disfigured and he's hurting and nobody wants to look at him, let alone have them at their dinner table. He's lying there in all humility. And the religious leaders who have exalted themselves, who've got the degrees, who've got the pedigree, who've got everything else, are humbled by Jesus in that moment. And this humble man is lifted up. And the religious leaders are humbled. Jesus tells them a parable, and then he says, this is the way the kingdom of God works. When you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled. And if you will humble yourself, you'll be exalted. We cannot be so focused on our positions that we lose focus on our purpose. And especially that we lose focus on the person that's in front of us. Certainly the greatest um, topic of news right now is the Supreme Court's decision that came out on Friday on Roe. And that's topping all the news stories, it's topping all the conversation, and it likely will for some time to come. You guys losing me there? I'm going to switch. Okay there? Okay. No, I think it might be the batteries. Um, so I was reading, I was reading, uh, you know, thinking about this, praying about this, reading what some people have put out. And I read Cardinal Sean O'Malley's statement that he put out. And I thought he had a lot of good things to say in that statement. I thought it was well said. But one paragraph in particular that I think relates to this message and relates to this point is this what Cardinal O'Malley wrote. He said, I welcome the court's decision but I do not underestimate how profoundly divisive the issue of abortion has been and will continue to be in our public life. Even more tragic has been the personal suffering of women facing unplanned pregnancies in difficult situations. The church has consistently opposed the moral and legal dimensions of Roe v. Wade. We also adamantly reject stigmatizing, criminalizing, judging, or shaming women who have had abortions or are considering them. Too often, isolated and desperate women have felt they had no other choice. They need and deserve spiritual, emotional, and material support from the church and from society. And I, I thought the reason I think that fits this part of the message is because we are a church, and you've heard me say it, look, we believe in, in life from the womb to the tomb, and that all of that life should be protected, preserved, and cared for, and, and have the opportunity to thrive. And that is from uh, the baby that has yet to be born to the elderly person that needs care and is dependent upon uh, others for help and all of that life in between. Whether there's racial issues or other issues that affect a person's life, we ought to be concerned about life from the beginning of it to the end of it. But I also know that the changing of a law didn't change a single heart on Friday. 
that we are called to be a people who minister and have compassion to people in front of us and around us. And that if we get so caught up in our positions that we might lose focus on our purpose and the person who is right in front of us. And I think we need to be careful to think about that and to look and to be a people of compassion, that we love life and value that life from the womb to the tomb, and we want to protect that. And that includes the pain that people experience. That includes a girl from uh, maybe an inner city who was raised in a really difficult family background or maybe didn't even have a family and gets pregnant at 15 and is not ready to be a mom and not ready to have that responsibility. And what will the church do to help? What will the church do to be compassionate and loving and caring to that person in front of you? Or it's the girl who grew up in the church and listened to all the sermons and went to youth group and is also 15 and finds herself pregnant and is not ready for that baby. And what will the church do? Or it's the same girl from the inner city that goes to the church and is pregnant. What will the church do? Are we so caught up at times in our positions that we lose focus of our purpose and the person that's in front of us to care and to love. There's awesome responsibility. Ultimately, I think what this passage, what we take away from this passage is don't worry about who's ahead of you. Show God's love to the person in front of you. And we oftentimes get so focused on who is ahead. What's the scoreboard? What's the scoreboard? Am I ahead? Are you ahead? Are we ahead? Are they ahead? Instead, and when we do that, we sometimes will lose focus of the purpose and the person that's in front of us. Um, so we ought to consider in our lives. Jesus used a wedding and, or a dinner here and pointed out the ridiculousness of their seating to show what was really going on in their heart. But it's not a dinner for you or for me. But is there something else that might reveal that there's something in your heart that God wants to deal with when it comes to the issue of pride, of humility, of keeping score instead of keeping watch for the person in need in your way? I'm going to ask our worship team to come back. And as they do, just take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to search our hearts. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And just, I want to invite the Holy Spirit just to search our hearts in a very real way. So it's not a dinner for you or a wedding banquet, but it wasn't about the dinner and it wasn't about the wedding banquet. It was about the hearts of the people that Jesus was talking to. And it revealed what was going on in their heart and in their life. So what is it for you? Is it the way maybe you organize your day that doesn't leave any time or space to love and care for other people? Is it the way you think about which events that you're going to attend or not attend that might reveal there's something in your heart that is so focused on your position that there's no room for other purpose and people. 
the way you think about people at the events. Are there any signs that your heart is captured by getting ahead and not by the Lord? If that's the case, then I would invite you to, in this moment, just ask the Lord to search your heart. And I think in light of what we've just talked about, ask the Lord to give you a greater understanding of who he is, a greater picture of himself, a greater vision of how great and awesome he is and how privileged we are just to be in the room. Never mind the seat at the table that he gives us. The fact that he knows our name. The fact that he calls our name as we put our faith and our trust in him. The fact that he extends grace and mercy to us. Lord, who am I? Who am I that the king of the universe would take note and take notice Lord, I pray for us as a church. Pray for us individually. Help us, Lord, to see you more clearly. Help us to have that picture so that we don't have a distorted picture of ourselves. Free us. Give us the freedom, Lord, because we know who you are and you know who we are. Give us the freedom to walk into a room and not worry about what people are thinking about us, but just look for opportunities to serve. I pray that there are people in this room that you would free them up tomorrow when they walk into their workplace or maybe tonight when they walk into their workplace. God, that you would free them up, Lord, to serve and not worry about what other people think, not worry about exalting themselves, not worry about elevating themselves, but trust you with that and just look for opportunities to love and to serve. Lord, teach us to be more like Jesus to not see the person in front of us as an obstacle, but an opportunity and an object of God's love. Lead us in this way. Now guide us even now as we sing about your greatness and your goodness. Give us a greater picture of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing this closing song together?